Welcome to Playmakers Perspective, where our goal is to give women, football players, and others involved in the game an outlet to share their thoughts on the NFL through their unique perspective as players and women around football. Live the game, talk the game, elevate the game. I'm Katie Falkowski. I am joined by my co-host, Faith Worrell. Hello, excited to be here. We have episode 19 Let's go. coming at you. So this is exciting. Happy New Year to everybody and happy holidays. Um, we are rolling into 2024 with episode 19. We're going to talk about week 17, look ahead to the final week of the regular season, which is crazy. I feel it's like we wild. just started. <laughs> and here we are going into week 18. But we got lots of good questions from Instagram. And let's just dive right into these, shall let's we? Let's do it, baby. Let's go right in. Um... First question, thoughts on Kyler Murray's future with the Cardinals after win over the Eagles? I don't have too many thoughts on Kyler Murray. Eric just yelled out earlier, he's short, and Faith said he runs like, what did you say? A child. He has, like, the tiny arms. <laughs> he runs like a child, though. He is quite elusive. It's awesome to watch. That game, for me, it was less about Kyler Murray and more about the Eagles um, losing that yeah. game. So I don't, you know, I, I don't have a ton of thoughts on Kyler Murray. I think that he is, yes, he is short, but uh, I do <laughs> think he is, um, he's a playmaker. Like, he continues to, you know, do things that I think are a little bit unexpected of him. So who knows what that will look like uh, going forward with Arizona. Yeah, and he was battling injuries for the first half of the season. So I don't necessarily see them kicking him to the curb, but certainly have not had the season that they wanted um, despite the win over the Eagles. Um, power rankings and dumpster fire rankings, question mark? Heck yes, great question. It inspired us to reevaluate our dumpster rankings and power rankings. So we'll get to that after we go through the rest of the questions. But I definitely changed my own around a little bit and I had to do some serious thinking on who I had in my top five KFAL power rankings. Yes, I definitely struggled on whether I was going to just pick bottom five, like they're already out of the playoffs, like bottom five teams, or if I wanted to address maybe bottom five, but they could be in the playoffs. I just went with bottom five of the league because you mm. know what? There's still teams too. And they deserve still to teams too. To. <laughs> they still have one more week, man. Exactly. Um, the next question is more of a topic. Georgia, woof, dogs can ball. Talk about some college football 63 for a minute. to three, an absolute blowout. I think that's an indication of how good Georgia is. Also, how many players on Florida decided to opt out. Uh, I just college football is just so odd right now. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I thought it was kind of a bummer of a game, to be honest. Like, you go undefeated Florida and then have most of your players decide not to play. I'm not hating on them. I understand there's all sorts of different scenarios. But it was just a blowout. And then, But I did. We watched college football all weekend. Um, the, both other games, one-score one games, came down to the very end. Bama obviously lost in overtime, which in some ways was heartbreaking. Faith asked me if I was upset. I was like, I was upset, but if you watch the game, I just didn't feel like, honestly, they played as well, and I thought they made a lot of yeah. mistakes, shot themselves in the foot. So congratulations to Michigan. I think they're going to be exciting to watch going against Washington, who also balled out. Uh, Penix looks really, really good. So I'm excited next week to watch that game. Yeah, no, I honestly 
I hate saying this because obviously Florida State's loss does contribute to the fact that they just had a lot of players opt out of the game. But you know the college football playoff committee is sitting back like, yep, mm-hmm. we made the right decision. Right. Because you look at the two games that they had and they were exciting. They were close overtime. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like the, co- the the committee got what they wanted. Right. And yeah, obviously Florida State awesome. yeah. just didn't put forth their best effort because they didn't have everybody that they should have had. But yeah, I mean, I think they're exciting two games and I think the national championship is going to be exciting for sure. So for sure. We'll see. But moving back to the NFL, we have who do you think are coaches in the hot seat rolling into the final week of the season? You know, obviously at the top of my mind is Mr. Bill Belichick. I know yeah. that everybody's come out and said he's gone. I'm still not ready to believe it. I think that the Patriots, all, despite their record, have shown that they're still fighting uh, as a team and for Bill. So, But obviously, you know, the conversation around the league is, is Bill going to be moving on for the Patriots? So I, I'm interested to see how that plays out. And if he does um, leave on his own will or otherwise, like what that means for the Patriots. So for me, that's the big one, obviously, in the hot seat going into this last week here. And it's interesting because I feel like a lot of national media has really like taken Bill off of his throne, I would say, like just really torn him to shreds in the media. But when people consider him not being done coaching, but maybe being done in New England, everybody all of a sudden wants him because he's the greatest coach right. in NFL history. So it's it's such a double-edged sword. You know, things obviously have not gone how he would want them the past couple of years here, but I mean, you look at the Falcons are probably going to be losing their head coach. The Panthers have been having all kinds of issues, especially with ownership. I feel like they're going to have more ownership changes, you know, potentially in the future. You've got the Chargers, obviously have had some struggles. The Raiders, will their current, you know, interim head coach stick around? We'll have to see. But I think any of those teams kind of in that bottom five that I'll talk about in a minute um, certainly have some coach and GM questions uh, just going into the offseason because you don't want to be on my dumpster fire ranking. So. No, you don't. Going back to Belichick, I know nobody has said this, and this yeah. will not happen, but if you watch that Army-Navy game and the interview with him and him talking about Navy, and obviously his father coached there, and like he just like loves Navy, that was like right when it was just coming out that like Bill's done, they already decided, and we were watching it, and I, I said to Eric, I was like, man, he should just leave the NFL and go, like, coach with Navy for a few years and, like, ride off into the football sunset where he started his football journey. Obviously, that's just a fairy tale. Nobody has said that but me. But I was just thinking, I was like, you know, I want a happy ending for him, whether that's with the Patriots or somebody else, because he's just, like, you know, every player who goes against him, like you're saying, you talk to them now, they're all like, yeah, he's the toughest guy to go against. So I still think he has yeah. some football in him if that's what he wants. But Absolutely. for sure on it's the hot just seat. In. He's going yeah. to Navy. I know. Katie you heard first. Yeah. <laughs> we'll certainly see. Um, looking to the Dolphins, how bad does losing Bradley Chubb hurt the Miami Dolphins? I think he's a stud player, so it obviously hurts. There was some question on why was he still in the game when it was such a blowout um, already. Of course, it's easy in retrospect to say that, but I think the Dolphins after that blowout loss to the Ravens have a lot of stuff to figure out, and not having Bradley Chubb is not going to help that situation going forward. I could not agree more. So moving on to the next question, do the Bears, now with the number one pick, focus on finding a quarterback or do they stick with Fields? So tough. We talked about this last week. It seems like the locker room is behind Fields. And then this week what happens, the fans in um, in Chicago come out and are cheer- cheering for Fields, chanting that they want him to stay. So 
really tough situation because how do you pass up one of those top guys? Like I said last week in regards to Fields, the flip side of that is if you can keep Fields, continue to develop him, and they get other pieces around him, then you're building a team and you're not starting from Mm -hmm. scratch. You already have this guy who's an amazing athlete and seems to be building and growing in the system and then putting pieces around him, and maybe that's the way to go. And it's tough, too, because you look at how important backup quarterbacks have been in the league. And so, like, of course, you don't want to stunt, you know, a Caleb Williams growth by making him a backup. But if they choose to go with, you know, the hot commodity of a quarterback, it's like, well, what if you then have him and Justin Fields almost battling it out for that quarterback one spot? But then you've got, you know, somebody like Kyler or not Kyler, but you have someone like Fields or Caleb Williams, whoever it is, you know, as that backup. I don't know. It's yeah. tough because I feel like the the Bears have a lot of holes. They have a lot of good things, but they also have a lot of holes. So the I tough, mean, the tough no. thing is too, they're gonna have to pay Justin Fields if they decide to stay with him. So it's like that's another thing. If you can bring on a guy on a rookie contract, if you don't think Fields is your guy, and you have these couple of studs coming up in the draft, maybe that's where their mind's at. So. I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. Um, but Justin Fields, like, I respect him a ton, the way he's handled it. Like, he's continued to ball in and putting his best foot forward and trying to not let that get in the way of his performance on the field. Yeah, and if he's not in Chicago, I see him playing somewhere else for sure. Um, we've seen a lot of quarterbacks not have success on one team, move on to a different, and find success there. So I think Fields has a long future ahead of him, regardless of whether it's in Chicago or not. Um, but speaking with quarterbacks, does Lamar Jackson play against the Steelers this upcoming week? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I was actually listening to Aaron Rodgers today talk about they were asking him um, what his thoughts were on whether you sit or play people if they're already in the playoffs. And he was saying, you know, part of it is situational, of course. You know, I think with Green Bay, he had said that a lot of times they would play the first half and then sit the second half. Uh, But, you know, his thought was, I don't believe in that you get rusty. Like if if the guys don't want to play and they want to go in feeling fresh, like they're athletes, they're going to be going in then a little bit fresher to play a playoff game like they're going to be up for the challenge so I think it just depends on what Lamar wants what the team wants uh and what his coaches think is best you know going into the playoffs I feel like in some in some aspects you treat it like a preseason game like you give like Aaron Rodgers was saying like you give them that first half your starters you know you give them reps like you you just kind of keep it like a normal game but if you already you know are up three scores even two scores it's like why risk it, especially right. when injuries can happen on any given play? So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But I don't think if if the Ravens play like they were playing against the Dolphins, there's no way Lamar's staying in all game. Yeah. There's no point. No point in it. Um, but Ravens-Steelers, that's a huge matchup. They're not going to be looking just to put in their backups and see what happens. Because you know the Steelers would love that kind of a win mm-hmm. at this point in the season. Mm-hmm. So, um, McCaffrey ruled out for Week 18. Do the 49ers win? Hint, hint, I will be talking about this game later on. So I won't talk about it much. 49ers, Rams, um, I think with or without McCaffrey, they're a dynamic team. This is an example where I think really smart to sit McCaffrey. Like, has a little bit of a Mm -hmm. tweak. They don't need to win the game. Let him rest up and get back because he is such a dynamic player. If they win this game or not, it's not their priority. Their priority is now the playoffs. So I think versus the Rams, they still have a, a great shot of winning without him. But for me, that's the right decision. Sit him, let him get right for the playoffs. Yeah, and I think on the other end of it, like, I saw a lot of people talking about, like, his whole MVP resume, okay? Like, you look at a guy like McCaffrey, he 
his resume is stacked. All right, he doesn't need more yards, more receptions in this game. He's got a career high already of 1,459 rushing yards, 14 touchdowns on the ground, plus 564 receiving yards, seven receiving touchdowns. I think you rest him up. There's really no point in risking it when they've locked in the number one like spot. And like you said, the 49ers are already a dynamic offense. So rest your main guy up. His MVP resume speaks for itself. I think that's totally fine. But I do think the... Actually, I'm not going to get too into it yet. Moving on to the next question. Um, how rigged is the NFL, in your opinion? <laughs> Puppets? I, I, I want to say no comment. I just can't believe that it is, but I'm always hopelessly optimistic about all things. So I, I don't think it is. As far as like the officiating goes, uh, you know, we're going to talk about that Detroit call. I know a lot of people are like saying it's always rigged against Detroit. Like I think it's an officiating problem. I don't think it's an intentional officiating yeah. problem that they're you know trying to make these calls in, in favor of one team or another. Uh, but obviously that is a huge narrative that the NFL is rigged, especially with all the like you know more and more gambling going on. But I don't I don't think so. But you know again I'm maybe I'm naive. I love that like NFL teams have embraced and make fun of the whole script idea. Like, I think that's funny. Um, it would be wild. Like I could imagine the documentary now on like Amazon prime or something that it's like this whole time, certain things have been rigged and like whatever. And the whole theory about, I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast, but that Super Bowl logo colors match the teams that play in the Super Bowl and this year with the purple and red, people are suspecting a 49ers-Ravens matchup. And it lines up with the past, like, four years. I think it's a fun theory to talk about. I don't think at the end of the day that it is completely rigged and, you know, scripted. But maybe there's something to it. Just a little bit. Maybe. Who knows? I would like to talk with whoever decided to have the Pats be this bad this year. And uh, Yes. Give a piece Who of my mind. that storyline? Because <laughs> I did not support that. I like that one um but anyway that is all the questions and topics we got from instagram thank you to everyone who submitted those and submits them every week um we love talking about just some random topics throughout the league and what you guys want us to talk about but katie what are we gonna get into now let's get into the i don't have faith <laughs> jumpster ratings who is the yes. bottom five in the nfl according to you faith Yes. So I'm going to go five, four, three, two, one. So five technically being what you would want to be if you have to be on this list. Yes. One, so one is, is you the, are the worst. The worst. All right. Got you it. don't want to be number one on my list, but exactly. you want to be number one on yours. Um, so coming in at number five, we have the New York Giants at five and 11. I don't think this is a real surprise to anybody, despite the whole Tommy Cutlets hype. Um, I think this team has a lot of fundamental holes to it. Um, their chances, they've had a lot of chances to pull off these gotta have faith wins. I mean, even over the Eagles and Rams, but I just think they're plagued by their own self-inflicted wounds. And there's a lot of effort. You know, I've seen a lot of media outlets talk about this team isn't giving up. I think similar to the Pats, like they're really not giving up on the season, but this, the discipline and talent and consistency is really lacking in New York, but uh, E for effort, uh, you're number five on the list <laughs> for that reason. Um, but moving to number four, also at five and 11, we have the Los Angeles Chargers. Wow, wow, wow. Certainly not what we saw coming at this point in the season. I know we hyped up the Chargers as, you know, 
at least making the playoffs. Um, but alas, here we are. I feel like everyone's talked about how talented this team is, but to some extent, are they really like, you know, what, when you look at the talent, like, is this team really as talented as we're hyping it up to be when you're sitting at five and 11? Like, I don't know. Injuries have certainly been prevalent for the Chargers as a lot of teams this season. But something I thought was interesting to consider is the Chargers can't afford to keep these quote talented players Um, over the cap, um, which is a website that kind of calculates all the salary caps with each team projects that the Chargers are going to be $35 million in the red in terms of paying these guys, either what they're worth or what their contract's going to be. So I don't even think the Chargers are going to be able to afford this talented roster that they have, but I mean, gosh, like how talented is it really if you're sitting at five and eleven? This to me is the most shocking. Like, I, yeah. I, I've said so many. I don't know why I thought the Chargers were going to be so much better. I guess Justin <laughs> Herbert, but I would not yeah. have guessed them to land at number four, bottom of the barrel. I don't have faith dumpster ratings going into the last week of the season. This, so this is the one of the five teams that you have here that shocks me the most for sure. Yeah, it's it's tough, and I think just their record speaks to themselves. Like I said, of course, they've had a lot of injuries. Losing Herbert was huge, and I could list out a laundry list of players that have struggled with injuries. But once again, like even if everyone's healthy, I don't know if the Chargers are going to be able to afford the roster that they have. So lots of big changes. Of course, the head coaching position is going to be highly desired in L.A. because of Herbert and the roster that they do have. So if they can hone in on the guys they need, um, use some extra money to get guys they want to come into the organization, I think they have certainly the potential to turn around, but as of right now, number four. Number three. Who do we got? The hometown team. We got the New England Patriots at <sighs> four and 12. Yep. I, know. I know. I I hate it. Obviously, there are major questions that need to be answered this offseason in terms of coaching, player leadership at quarterback, really just leadership in the major skill positions. I feel like earlier on, Back in like training camp, um, Mike Giardi, who was with NFL Network, made a statement about that the wide receivers in the Patriots locker room were all two and three guys, like not wide receiver one kind of guys. A lot of them took offense to that. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is the fuel they need to prove themselves. And then truthfully, rookie Demario Douglas has really been the guy that's kind of come up big for us. So it's like none of those guys that were in the room that should have been veteran leaders have really done what they needed to do. It just feels like there's a lot of problems uh, when it comes to the Patriots right now. And it's tough. Like, I, I adore Zappi, but three interceptions this past Sunday in Buffalo, I just don't feel like he's in a position to thrive as a quarterback one. And truthfully, nobody is. And I don't know who would really come in and change the tide. But sometimes you dump it all out, start from scratch, and I think that's what happens in Foxborough this offseason. Yeah, man. Remember at the beginning, one of our first apps, we were like, we got Juju, we got Gasecki, Matt Jones is going to have a year. We thought, hey, some of these guys are going to step up and ball, and none of them stepped up and balled. And like you said, like the no. receivers, everybody's known that's always been a, a weak spot the last couple of years for the, the Patriots, but nobody elevated. Like Pop Douglas, my favorite, you know, I'm always like, get him the ball, please just get him the ball, because I feel like yeah. he's like a shining spot, but... You just said, you know, is it something we have to dump everything and start from scratch? And I think I think that's probably the mindset going out, getting a quarterback, trying to, you know, get some more life and energy and, and get back to the, you know, I hate to say it, but the Patriot way. What does that look like going forward? Is it 
is it the next evolution of that? Um, but yeah, I think they're lacking some leadership in the locker room as far as just guys who can go out and bowl. Yeah. And I'm definitely, I feel like this season, while it's like busy and there's a lot going on, I feel like I'm in the calm before the storm. <laughs> like, it's like, this is like what we got to get through. And then almost like all hell's going to break loose come, you know, the end of the season, but we'll see what happens. We'll see what changes are made. I have all trust in the world, in the craft family and the organization as a whole to make the decisions needed to get back in the winning column and back in the playoffs. So we'll see what happens there. Let's but hope for now. I have faith they're too, number faith. three. Yeah. Um, number two, the Washington commanders also at four and 12. I have often said that having two half decent quarterbacks really means you have no quarterbacks. So Fair. Sam Howell, uh, Jacoby Brissett, obviously Brissett did get injured. So there's, there's that factor of it, but at the end of the day, I don't think either of them have really proven to be QB1. They're half decent, they're there, but the the commanders certainly have just had a tough season overall. Um, they also are now going up against the 49ers, which will not be an easy uh, matchup for them. Um, but they played them last week, right? Yes, they played them last week. I had that backwards. They played them last week. Of course, I don't th see that game... You know, that game kind of was as we thought it was going to be. The 49ers are red hot right now. Um, but I just felt like the Commanders didn't do anything impressive on Sunday, nor have they really done anything impressive all season. Strange season all around. Number two on my list, they'll look to rebuild in the draft. Mm -hmm. For sure. And last and certainly least, I guess in this case, um, Carolina Panthers wow. sitting at 2-14. and 14. Um all I'm going to say is that owner David Tepper was caught throwing a drink at the window of his booth toward a fan. Enough said. Things are Not falling apart. Good. Not, Not good. a good look. Not Ugh. a good look. I feel for Bryce Young. I think he needs yeah. to develop a ton. I think they need to work on their offensive line. They need to get more pieces. Tepper seems a little shaky. You know, hiring yeah. and firing coaches, throwing drinks at fans. So that organization as a whole, I think it needs to figure some stuff out. I'm sure David Tepper is incredibly frustrated, but at the same time, it's like, hey, dude, you own an NFL franchise. Like, you can't throw drinks at people. It's just yeah, not the yeah. way forward. So that's my dumpster fire rankings. I do not have faith here. We got Giants, Chargers, Patriots, Commanders, and Carolina Panthers. All right, love that. But let's turn it around to let's pick the mood back up. Pick the mood back up with the K Val Power Rankings. I'm going to start <laughs> at number one, and number one here is the best team in the NFL as I see it right now. I will say that I made my list and I went back and forth, and then I was curious to see what kind of other people were saying. And I'll tell you that there's a lot of there's like nobody knows right now the top five. I feel like the top one and two, a lot of people has the same top two teams, but three, four, and five. There's a lot of people out there in the NFL world who are uncertain. So let's hear what I have to say for my power rankings. Obviously, at number one, I have the Baltimore Ravens, who are 13 and three. They just beat nope. the Miami Dolphins by 37 points. They are the first team in NFL history to win back-to-back -back games by 10-plus points versus 11-win teams, and Lamar is looking like an MVP. 
They beat the 49ers. They beat the Dolphins. They are beating really, really good teams, and they are doing so decisively. I'll talk more about this past weekend's game versus the Dolphins, but, man, they look awesome right now. And I don't want to say unbeatable because I think everybody is beatable, but if they keep firing on all cylinders like they are, they are a tough matchup for any team in the league. Absolutely. At number two. One of my favorites all year. No surprise here. I have San Francisco 49ers. They are currently 12-4. and four. They locked up the number one seed in the NFC with their win over the Commanders. Yes, like I said, they did lose to the Ravens, but they still have so many ballers on that team, and I'm sure that those guys would absolutely love a rematch. So if it does mm-hmm. come down to it, I think that that is going to be absolutely epic fun to watch. So Ravens at one, 49ers at two. Here's where like things it. got a little interesting for me, and now you will see my bias. At <laughs> number three, I have the Detroit Lions at 11-5. and five. Nice. I think <laughs> that Dan Campbell right now, along with his team, has so much fuel and fire and rage within yep. them. And that, you know, their idea is always about grit and overcoming and all of these challenges along the way are going to lead us to who we're supposed to be at the end of the season. And this is our legacy and this is our destiny. Well, they had quite the game against the Cowboys. And we'll talk about how that ended the other day. But I think that is all fuel for them now going forward. And I actually think that that loss is going to unite them even more on their road to and through the playoffs. So that's why I have the Lions at number three right now, building some resiliency yep. and overcoming through that disappointment, only fueling their fire. Which leads me Stand to by that. number four, the Dallas Cowboys, who, of course, just beat the oh, Lions, yeah. but they are also at 11-5. They, of course, are 8-0 at home. And we've talked about it so many times. There's still doubt around the Cowboys, but they have so much going for them. They do have an explosive offense. They have shown that they can um, win big games like that game against the Lions. So I think the Cowboys at number four, I'm going to stick by that. Now, here's where it got really hard for me. So Uh one and two were easy. Three and four, I took a little bit of my emotion into it with the Lions and figured it out. But number five, I really struggled. I rewrote this three different times with three different teams in there. And here is what I settled on. I wanted to put the Dolphins in. I wanted to put the Bills in. But the Bills barely beat the Patriots, who we just talked about, not looking great. The Dolphins just got embarrassed by the Ravens. So I am going at number five, the Cleveland Browns. (laughs) Let's go. Cleveland Browns. They're 11 yeah. and 5. Don't count them out. Joe Flacco leading the charge. Kevin Stefanski is in talks for uh, coach of the year. And they just have that good old friend momentum going for them right now. They have Man. a little bit of juice. They have a little bit of fire. So that's why I have the Cleveland Browns at number five. I will say, like I said, my honorable mentions, I have the Miami Dolphins also at 11 and 5. I think they have some stuff to figure out still, but they can make those big explosive plays. But after that loss to the Ravens fresh in my mind, it, I really struggled to put them in the top five. And then the Buffalo Bills was my other honorable mention. I almost slipped in there. Uh, they're at 10-6, and six, but they have a four-game win streak, and they seem hungry. They seem to be clicking a little bit more, finding ways to win. But that game to the past was just like a little too close. It wasn't quite decisive enough yeah. for me to bump them in to the top five. And so that's why I went with the Browns at number five. So I have Baltimore Ravens at one. 
49ers at two, Lions at three, Cowboys at four, Cleveland Browns at five, and Dolphins and Bills on the cusp. Now, notably, not in the KFAL power ranking top five are the Chiefs and the Eagles, who I had at one and two. If you look at the power rankings through week seven, I had Chiefs got bumped off. one, Eagles two, and now they are no longer in the KFAL power rankings. Both are showing that they have some major issues that need to get fixed, and I do believe that they can fix those issues. But there are just other teams that seem to have it more figured out, more dialed in, going into the last week of the season and the playoffs. Yep. So Chiefs and Eagles, not my top five right now. That's fair. Honestly, I feel like I agree with your top five. I think that these are the teams that are playing with fire. They're playing to win. Of course, the Lions did lose to the Cowboys, but we're going to talk about that situation and everything that went into that. Um but yeah, I mean, the Cleveland Browns, they're clicking at the right time. Joe Flacco is having a fantastic season. And realistically, like, the Chiefs look like the wheels are falling off. Mm-hmm. And even the Eagles, it's like, we're going to talk more about them in a minute. It, it feels like they are tripping over themselves constantly. And I can agree with it. I think, like, you know, they're going to dial in. They're going to do what they can. But... I've been noticing on clips from the New Heights podcast, like Travis Kelsey is frustrated. Jason Kelsey is frustrated with their respective teams. And I think the Lions are using their frustration with the ref situation as fuel. But when you're frustrated with yourself and your own team, you either dial that in or you completely implode. And I would not be surprised if these two reigning, you know, teams really just kind of fall off the rails, make it, of course, into the playoffs like they've clinched. But who knows? Maybe these other teams playing hot at the right time really can just steamroll them over. So, man. We're going to find out. Right out of the KFAL rankings. That's right. we got one more week in the regular season, and then we're going to get into the playoffs. And, dude, I am excited about that. I was going to say I can't wait, but there's so much excitement between now and then that I'm (laughs) excited for that. But then once it gets here, I'll be fired for that also. So, we have the dumpster ratings. We have the power rankings. We're going to move into some AFC action and NFC news. I'm going to keep going with the playoff stuff, looking at the playoff yep. picture here quickly, talking about teams that have clinched. We just talked about the Baltimore Ravens. They are the AFC North title division leaders. They have the number one seed, the lone first round by, and home field advantage. I'll talk more about them in a bit. The Kansas City Chiefs, I just said they're not my top five, but again, they're 10-6. and six. They have the AFC West division title, their eighth straight win. Uh, their eighth straight with that 25-17 win over the Bengals. So yep. they're still in. They're still doing just fine. Don't count them yeah, out yeah. yet. Um, Mahomes said about the division title, I mean, it's really cool to win the AFC West, but obviously dealing with some adverse situations over these last few weeks. For guys to respond, it's a good football team and to find a way to win, even when the game wasn't going our way at the beginning. It was special. I told the guys to celebrate it, enjoy it, but our goal is to obviously continue to win and we need to build off this momentum to get ready for the playoffs. They're aware that they're having problems. Despite all of that, they still won the AFC West. They're still going to the playoffs. So if they can figure it out and Mahomes can be the leader that he needs to be, Kelsey can be the leader that he needs to be, their defense is balling. So I'm not counting the the Chiefs out. They are in the playoffs. Anything can happen. The Cleveland Browns also clinched. They are the first team to make the playoffs having four quarterbacks make multiple starts in the season. So go Cleveland Browns. 
Joe Flacco moved to four and one as the Cleveland's quarterback with their 37 and 20 win over the Jets. Joe Flacco has 13 touchdown passes this season. That is the same amount of offensive touchdown passes as the Giants and the Panthers have, whereas the Steelers and Titans only have 12 and the Jets only have 11 all season. So that's, again, only in five games. He has more touchdowns than all those other teams. Do you think, and this is a thousand percent hypothetical, just go with your gut. If, if the Browns make it, I don't know, let's just say they make it to the AFC Championship game. I don't see them in the Super Bowl, but let's just say they have a long playoff run. Joe Flacco has an outstanding playoff run with them. What are the odds that the Browns would keep him at QB1? And like... I think because of his age and the contract that Deshaun Watson has, mm-hmm. it's going to be tough, unfortunately, for Joe Flacco because we've both displayed our feelings about Deshaun Watson. I'm rooting for Flacco. I wasn't necessarily rooting yeah. for the Browns under Deshaun Watson, but I think because of the numbers game there, uh, my fair. guess is that between the contract number and the age number, uh, he wouldn't remain QB1, but you never know, I suppose. It'd be a tough, I think, pill to swallow for the Browns to pay – Deshaun as much as they did, and then to trade him away for somebody respectfully as old as Joe Flacco is. But hopefully they can have a great run. Also, uh, speaking of money, I did say that Joe Flacco has, like, pretty big um, bonuses for each win in the playoffs. So, like, dude, go ball out, win some games, make (laughs) some money. And uh, and just, like, what a great story, you know, for Joe Flacco. Previous Playmaker of the Week here on Playmaker's Perspective. Great honor. Very true. Uh, And then finally, uh, clinch the playoffs, Miami Dolphins. Uh, They can still win the AFC East by beating Buffalo on Sunday night, but 11-5. They're, you know, again, not my top five rankings, but still doing just fine. And then the last little piece on the playoffs here, win and in in the AFC. The Jaguars win the AFC South with a win over the Titans this upcoming weekend. So this is all, like, looking ahead now. That's what the Jags have to do. The Colts would earn the wild card with a win over the Texans. However, the Texans would earn the wild card with a win over Colts. So that is going to be a huge game. And then again, the Bills would win the AFC East with a win over the Dolphins. Here's an interesting scenario for the Bills. If they win over the Dolphins this upcoming week, they win the AFC East. If they lose and the Steelers, who are playing the Ravens, like we just talked about, might not be playing all of their starters, and the Jags, both win, so the Steelers and Jags need to win, then the Bills are out of the playoffs. So the Bills, it's like crazy. They can either uh, be atop the AFC East if they win, but if they lose and these other things happen, they're not even in the playoffs. So that's going to be a huge epic game this week, the Bills and Dolphins. I love like watching the playoff picture just like fold into itself and just everything gets figured out. Um, I did some research today on like what happens when teams tie or what happens when like, you know, you've got you know people in a division with the same record and they each won a game with each other. Like it's just, there's a lot of thought that has gone into the tiebreakers and all of the different pieces, but you know, it certainly will be a big, you know, it's the last week of the season, but every game matters still. I think there's so much importance on this week. Um, and I'm pumped to see the playoffs actually get rolling. See who we've got. Let's make the bracket. Let's see what happens. Um, yeah, it's crazy. And I think it is wild that the Bills could literally, if they don't pull off the win, they could they're out of the playoffs. Nuts. So, what do we got in the NFC as far as who's clinched right now? 
Yes. So, in terms of teams that have clinched, we've got the San Francisco 49ers with their 12-4 record. They've clinched the playoff spot. NFC West champions, first round by home field advantage, locked and loaded. Um, we've got the Dallas Cowboys at 11-5. and They've clinched their playoff spot, but they are still battling the Eagles for the NFC East championship. Um, I think it's fascinating that because of the Eagles lost to the Cardinals and the Cowboys win, they are now kind of stuck in that same spot, and Dallas was actually able to move up to number one. Uh, but the Philadelphia Eagles have also clinched the playoff spot. Like I said, they're battling for that NFC East championship. So it will come down to how things go um, this next Sunday. But, you know, the Cowboys do have that advantage over the Eagles as of right now. Um, the Lions have also clinched a playoff spot and the NFC North championship. Um, they're probably, ah. As ready as they are, I feel like they're also fans are still celebrating just this division championship because it's been so long, but so deserved this season. So they are clinched and in the playoffs. Um, the, the one that surprised me a little bit, um, you got the Rams. They clinched a playoff spot. They are in. Um, it's now just a matter of whether they are the sixth or seventh seed as things kind of play out here in this last week. But they are in. They've earned themselves a spot. They're at nine and seven right now. Dude, you know what I love? I love what? playoffs <laughs> when it's like it's one game and all you have to do is win. So, like, we're talking about the Rams. Like, we haven't been talking about the Rams that much. But hey, you never yeah. know. They get into the playoffs, they go on a little run, Stafford heats up, and all yeah. this, you got Puka. Like, I just feel like that's one of the great things about the playoffs is it's just like everything is on the line in that one game. And in some ways, like this weekend, yes, it's the last week of the regular season, but we have these like playoff type games. Like we're toxic, talking like Texan Colts, like you win and you're in. We're talking about the you Bills, like, hey, it's on you. So I love that play playoff where atmosphere where it's like, hey, like everything is on the line right here. You win and you move on. You lose and you go home. Like that is Literally. so exciting. Yes, no, super exciting. And speaking of exciting, um, looking to kind of the win and in category of this in the NFC, looking at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the New Orleans Saints, they are both sitting at eight and eight for the NFC South title. I think it's fascinating that if you look at this, so the Bucs travel to Carolina on Sunday. In theory, the Bucs should win that game. The Saints host the Falcons on Sunday, which Saints should also pull off the win, but the Falcons are close. Um, week four, the Bucs beat the Saints 26-9, to but the Saints got their revenge this past weekend with their 23-13 to win over the Bucs. So as of right now, not only are they tied for record, but they each have beaten each other. Um, so when it comes to who's going to actually make it to the playoffs, if they both win, it comes down to one of those Seahawks beat so-and-so beat so-and-so. Like one of those just like trickle-down effects to see who can actually get in, what? which a lot of it is pendant on this weekend. So really like – the Bucks and the Saints are going to look to win to do everything they can to contribute to their playoff run, but it can be in the hands of other teams at that point, even if they do get out the win. Um, and also in the hunt, you've got the 8-8 eight and eight Green Bay Packers after their must-win over the Vikings on Sunday Night Football. I thought it was wild that even that last week was a win-or-go-home kind of situation because whoever lost that had like a 2% chance of making the playoffs. So Packers are still in the question, but... It's going to come down to that, like, just crazy somebody beat somebody beat somebody beat somebody kind of situation. So 
super exciting to see how this is going to play out in the NFC. Dude, fired up. All right, so that's the kind of playoff picture as it stands right now. A lot to be figured out this week, and then we're diving into the playoffs shortly after, and it's going to be exciting. I have a few other AFC notes I'm going to run through right here. The Pittsburgh Steelers have chosen Mason Rudolph as their QB1, taking the spot from Kenny Pickett, which is wild because Penny Pickett, Kenny Pickett now is healthy, but they're still going with Rudolph. Since Mason Rudolph has taken over the job, Pittsburgh is 2-0 and has the only two 30-point games of its season with Rudolph as their quarterback. He completed 18 of 24 passes for 274 yards and no turnovers. Another note on Pittsburgh here, with the Steelers beating Seattle, they finish at or above 500 for 17 straight seasons. So they have no losing seasons under Mike Tomlin for 17 years. That is pretty darn impressive. I know Steelers Nation out there would like to have a better record than that, but to have no losing seasons in 17 years is really quite commendable, I think, for the Steelers. I could not agree with you more. I think the Steelers have been interesting all season just with their quarterback situation. You know, a lot of people have doubted Mike Tomlin, but to not have a losing season in 17 years, I think, you know, certain things are doing are going right in Pittsburgh. And I think a lot of the pieces are there. They just need to dial it in. And I think this offseason, they are going to be able to finalize just some of the missing pieces, like some of the things that have just fallen short this season for the Steelers. Um, but certainly interesting with Rudolph. I didn't realize just exactly how much better he had been doing. Um, it's funny, looking back to what I said earlier, it, my head still feels like, Mason Rudolph, Kenny Pickett, you've got kind of like two okay, two maybe good quarterbacks, which then could possibly mean you really don't have one starting guy, but curious to see how the Steelers handle the offseason. Yes, for sure. sure. Speaking of quarterback controversy, I'm just going to touch briefly on the odd situation in Denver as Sean Payton benched yeah. Russell Wilson. Apparently, they're moving on from him. Jarrett Sidham got the 869 win over the Chargers. Uh, the Broncos are officially out of the playoffs, but the whole situation with Russell Wilson getting benched, I just find very odd. Apparently, Sean Payton was not happy with Wilson's efficiency and ability to find the open guy this season. Meanwhile, Russell Wilson says he is looking forward to what's next. Uh, as you guys can recall, Russell Wilson had a monster contract. If they cut him, it results in an $85 million cap charge plus $39 million in guaranteed money for 2024, though they can split up the cap uh, cap hit with a post-June 1 designation. But either way, that's a lot of money. If they keep him, it's a cap number of more than $90 million over two seasons plus the $37 million due in 2025. So either way, they're out a ton of money with Russell Wilson, whether they keep him or move on. But the way that this situation has been handled just seems a little fishy. I don't even think all of the details are really out about it. Um, I think Russell Wilson has been very stoic in his approach to it and kind of what he said. So I, I have a lot of respect for him in that regard. But to bench Russell Wilson, and especially he apparently has known about this for weeks and he went out there and competed for his team and did his best to put them in a position to be successful after a really rocky start like to me that speaks a lot about Russell Wilson and his character like hey you guys don't want me here but I'm gonna go still do what I can for this city and for my team so I I respect that a lot about Russell Wilson and I hope you know he lands somewhere where it makes sense for him I think it's just kind of sad and strange because like 
you know, they play the Pats. The Pats win. Okay, exciting win, whatever. Five minutes later, Russ is benched. You know that decision, you know, like you were saying, like had been made, had been made somewhat ahead of time. Like you look at how many weeks Bill Belichick put up with Mac Jones's mediocrity, losing games before he got benched. Four minutes after losing to the Pats, this guy's benched. They like, said they made the decision like after the Chiefs, like weeks ago, they, they told Russ. So it's like, that's what's kind of wild about it. Which like, I could understand if like you were trying to get Jared Siddham more reps, like develop your backup quarterback, you realize you're not in the playoffs. Sure, whatever. But this feels more like just the butting of heads between Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. And like you said, like I have a lot of respect for Russ Wilson. I feel like he has done nothing but show up for Denver and do what he can. I mean, certainly there's been just a lack of productivity and like some miscommunications, but you know, I, I don't have any doubt that you know Wilson's not showing up every day trying to give his all. So certainly interesting to see what happens. Um, and I mean, yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot of money, and I feel like. There's no reason why a Sean Payton-led team with Russell Wilson at quarterback should be as bad as it is. Right. Exactly. Uh, really. Like, yeah. All so. right. Mm. I have one more note on the AFC here. It also has to do with the quarterback and the impact that a quarterback can have on the team. Because, man, oh, man, the Texans look so much better with C.J. Stroud. They beat the Titans 26-3. Like I said, that keeps them alive. They have to beat the Colts. The Colts stayed alive with 23-20 win over the Titans. So it's just going to be really interesting. But to me, C.J. Stroud, what a difference maker. We've been talking about him all year. But you could really see it without him in the lineup, then him coming back, and then just kind of beating up on the uh, on the Titans. So excited to see what the Texans do against the Colts this upcoming weekend with C.J. Stroud at the helm. Win or go home. Win or go Win home. Win or go That's home. That's it, baby. Um, looking to some NFC news, um, this is – a little bit more league-wide, but Pro Bowl announcements are this week. So we'll find out those rosters. I believe it's Wednesday. Not entirely sure. Um, so we'll see what studs of the NFL this season have made the Pro Bowl. I find it fascinating that you can go to the Pro Bowl for like 50 bucks. So if anyone happens to be in the Orlando area, maybe you can go check out the Pro Bowl for just $50 um, come February. But so the Pro Bowl announcements are coming this week. Um, another obvious uh, NFC note I'm just going to make quickly. We did mention McCaffrey's out for Week 18. Totally fine. Totally agree with that decision. He's been a playmaker, an MVP candidate all season. Rest him up. Get him ready for the playoffs. Um, looking to the Dallas Cowboys, um, they had an exciting halftime this past Sunday, inducting Jimmy Johnson into their ring of honor. Faith, I don't know if you saw much of this. But... I cried like a baby. I was like, <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. I thought it was so beautiful. And him and Jimmy Johnson getting over their beef. All the guys there, Michael yeah. Irvin, like Emmett Smith, just loving him up. I literally was just like crying. Eric, of course, was making fun of me, but I just <laughs> loved it. Like I, you could just tell how happy that he was and how all the guys were happy. Troy Aikman was talking about how this like really like completed the circle having him in there. So I was just... I was pumped about that. I love stuff like that. Uh, yes, I love it. Um, for anyone who doesn't know a little bit about Jimmy Johnson, he won a national championship in college as a player, won another as a head coach, um, and is, the co is in the College Football Hall of Fame. He then won two Super Bowls as a head coach and also became a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So overall, a football legend beloved by many, even outside of the Dallas Cowboys organization, in the Falkowski uh, household, they certainly are loving up on some Jimmy Johnson. Um, 
But he was quoted saying, this is this was a special time in my life. This was something that paid dividends to me in the rest of my life. It's something that I'm extremely proud of. We took the worst football team in the NFL, the worst. And not only did we win Super Bowls, we were able to put together a team in the 90s. So obviously very proud of it. Proud to have my name up in the stadium. So pops up to him. It was it was adorable. Very emotional. Very well-deserved. So had to shout that out. I will say, too, as I was watching this, I said the exact same thing about the J.J. Watt induction. I, there was a part of me that, um, as beautiful as it was, I was like, man, I can't wait till we experience this in women's sports in this way that we Mm -hmm. can look back at people who have made an impact on our sport whether it be football soccer hockey whatever and really honor them in a way that's meaningful and that players can come back and celebrate that person for the contribution that they made to an organization and that fans can have that opportunity to celebrate that person and that person can be like immortalized in the stadium i just think we're not there yet as far as women's sports go but that's something as i look towards the future like i hope that some of my teammates in 10 20 30 years like on the renegades like we have an opportunity to you know to show our love and appreciation for them and the impact that they've had on the sport um Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was another thing I was thinking as I watched that. Obviously, you know, that's takeaway from Jimmy Johnson, but to me, that's kind of where my head head goes when I see that. Sometimes, like I want to experience that, have that experience for like my teammates and coaches in the future, hopefully. Yeah, and I think like you think about the players on the Renegades in the WFA that have played for twenty plus years and then retire, and it's just like you hear the crickets. Like exactly, yeah. Maybe they post something on Instagram, or maybe like you get a quick little shout out on the WFA's account, but it's like, you don't want when these players that have been playing for 20 years, when they retire, people are just now learning about what the past 20 years were like. Like you want people to be able to know as it was happening, as it was going on, the impact that they were making so that when they're gone and they retire, you know, it's emotional for everybody. It's not just like, Oh, by the way, for the past 25 years, so-and-so has been leading the league in whatever it is, you know, by the way, they're retiring. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. It's like you want to be able to have more of the city and its community rally around that player and the impact that they had, not just close circles, local friends and family. Like it's, it should be a bigger thing. And I agree, it's, it's not there yet, but who knows? You know, I think we're in the right direction. Just got to keep going. Which is another reason I'm very grateful for you you faith and and people who do what you do as far as like telling our story and telling the the story of my teammates because i think that's what we need uh in women's sports is is obviously the level of play that athletes are bringing which i think we are but we need people to see that and experience that and get to know the players and know the stories behind the players and then i think fans can can feel that like love and camaraderie and excitement when they they do well or when they experience highs and lows as we do as athletes so anyway thank you faith for helping us tell our story i guess we could move back on to that <laughs> well i'll give the quick shout out to the fact that it was announced this week that the wfa's championship games are on prime time dude ESPN it's so, so awesome I'm, I'm excited i think that's gonna be great i think you know, when you look at how many people viewed last year's not being in primetime, the biggest call out I'm going to make is the fact that Snoop Dogg was watching the game at like noon or whatever. So like, I think just there's an audience that's intrigued. And I think being able to be on primetime and capitalize on that is huge. So super excited about that. 174,000 households watch mm-hmm. the game. That is, that is amazing. Like, I, I just, like you said, like, pr- it's pretty awesome. And, and to have it on primetime, like, 
I was really excited when I saw that because I think that um, people are going to be excited to watch it. And, and when they are flipping through and they see it and turn it on, they're going to be really uh, impressed by what they see. So hopefully we'll be there. That's the plan. We will see. Going back to the NFL for a bit, talking about the NFC here. I got to talk about the Cardinals-Eagles game, okay? We have to talk about this. Because I laughed at it last week at my gotta have faith and was like, LOL, I don't have that much faith. Like, okay, come on. Um, (laughs) Hopefully for Philly that the mistakes are showing themselves at the right time. But despite how well the Eagles have been all season, I think two things, two important red flag issues were just on full display against the Cardinals. You've got an uneven offense performance, like offensive performance, just hit or miss, and a defense that cannot make big stops. I think the whole issue with the Eagles this season have been not being able to formulate a complete game. Like, mm-hmm. it's a hot first half and a slow second half, or a completely standstill slow first half and a hot second half. And then your defense is just not making the plays when they need to make on third down, on fourth down, whatever it is. Like, they're just not stepping up when they needed the most. And lo and behold, the Cardinals made use of everything they could. Um, the Eagles now dropped behind Dallas, like I'd mentioned earlier, in the NFC East um, with just this one week left. I think it's really funny to me that I was reading how the Eagles were so desperate to figure out what to do on defense that they actually put Matt Patricia in charge of calling the defensive plays. Not super surprised that that didn't work. Man, he's but had a rough couple just... years, huh? Another scapegoat, <laughs> Matt Patricia. Yeah, so... Um... We'll see what happens there, but I think it kind of just feels like the sky is falling in Philly right now. You know, teams want to be playing their best right now. Philly is not, um, you know, but it's not over yet. Like there's still, um, there's still a lot to be talked about on this podcast tonight. And there's still a lot to happen in the Eagles organization this year. Um, uh, Sirianni said, worry and concern don't get problems fixed. Doesn't fix anything getting in there, grinding, figuring out what the answers are, that's what gets things fixed. Worry and concerned is not. So fans might be worried and concerned. Supposedly the Eagles ready to lock in for what they need to do, but I don't know. It was That was wild. It is that wild. I think wild. what you said, it seems like the sky is falling. Like That's how it seems from the outside looking in, not as a yeah. Eagles fan, but observing Eagles fans, observing the demeanor of some of the players, um, like you said, talking about the difference between are you using that to fuel you towards excellence or are you using that frustration and it's kind of pulling you down? And I'm not saying it is pulling them down, but it seems like it may be a little bit and that guys are really getting frustrated. And so, you know, if you're a Philly fan or a Philly player, hopefully they you you know, they can figure out how to use that frustration to move them forward. They're still a great football team. They still have a lot of pieces. I think, um, you know, they could surprise people, but they definitely have to figure some stuff out. Uh, like you said, their defense, not able to make the stops, their offense, maybe not clicking quite like it should. So just figuring out ways to fine tune that and get dialed in because it's now or never. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's all I have for NFC news. Let's, Roll right into 
week 17 predictions how did we do what games were we excited about i have, how did it go i of course didn't make a prediction but there was a game i was excited for and that was the dolphins ravens had i made a prediction this would not have been it i may have been yeah. able to guess that the ravens could have beat the dolphins but i would not have guessed that they would have blown them out like they did 56 to 19 Holy moly, what a statement win for the Ravens. The Dolphins just couldn't handle Lamar Jackson and the Ravens' passing game. Lamar Jackson went 18 for 21, 321 yards, five touchdowns, a perfect pass rating of 158.3. Fans were chanting MVP, MVP, and he did really have an MVP caliber performance there. The Ravens had 491 yards. Their average pass was 14.4 yards absolutely insane even Jar john harbar their head coach was going crazy dancing in the locker room oh after. my god that was adorable oh my god it was so good <laughs> um and the ravens clinched the afc north and the conference top seed and a first round bye so that game decisive huge playoff implications as far as them being able to rest up players that they want have that bye week um after the game Ravens Ravens coach John Harbaugh said, I don't know if I've seen if I've seen a more impressive performance in a game. I'm not sure I've seen a more impressive performance in a season to date. Obviously, we have a lot more to do to step up and play the way that they have and to put an exclamation point, a trick triple exclamation point on it with a performance like this. Pretty much a well-rounded, perfect performance like that after the opening bell. That is high praise coming from him. And it's true. Like triple exclamation point leave no doubt like there was no doubt in that game who the better team was at least on that given day and that was the ravens the ravens are now seven and one this season against opponents that entered the game with a winning record and in those games the ravens point differential is plus 170 they are beating up on the best teams in the league which Briefly talking about the Dolphins, that has been a knock on the Dolphins is they can't beat yes. winning teams. And then to contrast that to the Ravens, who are not only beating winning winning teams, but absolutely destroying teams with winning records. To me, that says a lot. Like Coach Harbaugh said, like what an important impressive performance. Wow. I mean, honestly, I could not believe the score. I, I could agree with you that it made sense the Ravens would pull out the win. Um, but 56 to 19, I think it's crazy. And I really feel like the, the Rams like pulled off the cheat code of the season. Like, eh, this is just the visual that comes to my mind. I love analogies. It felt like they were a race car kind of further in the back and just slowly and steadily beat out everybody. And they are just pedal to the metal when the time is right. Like I, you expect the Ravens, you expect a team to beat, you know, someone who's eliminated from the playoffs 56 to 19 at this point in the season. But when you're playing the dolphins that this could easily have end up being an AFC championship matchup right here. And you're beating them this much and your quarterback is playing this well. It's, it's definitely all things are hitting at the right time. And I love seeing Harbaugh just go nuts in the locker room because as he should, Mm -hmm. as he should, Mm -hmm. his team is showing up right when they need to absolutely wild game. Very fun. wild. And what game were you excited for, Faith? Yes. Yeah, so I was excited for the Lions Cowboys. I didn't realize what would make the news headline the most about this game. But before we address the ending, let's talk about the other 59 minutes in this game. 
Starting with the first quarter, nothing really to talk about until Cowboys wide receiver caught a absolute bomb from Prescott for a 92-yard touchdown. This is the longest completion in Cowboys history. Absolutely impressive, wild stuff. I thought that lit a spark for the Cowboys. Then there was no scoring. In the second quarter, halftime, it's 3-7. to seven. So close game, you know, you're still right there with the, you know, everyone's, it's close. Third quarter was equivalent to the first with a touchdown and a field goal. Roll into the fourth quarter, tied at 10. Not a high-scoring matchup, but a lot at stake. And the fourth quarter brought the heat. Oh, yeah. The Lions took a small lead early in the fourth with a 30-yard um, field goal from Michael Bagley. But the Cowboys scored 10 unanswered points, extending their lead at 20-13. to 13. With less than 30 seconds in the game, Jared Goff for the Lions throws an 11-yard pass to Amon Ross St. Brown, 19-20. They're now faced with, do you go for the extra point, secure the overtime, or do you go for two and seal the win? Well, the Lions went for two, as I think the Lions would have all season. That's just been how they've been playing. They're, they're very all-in, do whatever it takes to win when they have the chance. And then events unfold. You have everybody kind of lining up for the play. You've got three offensive linemen kind of briefly speaking to the ref. Play gets set up. Boom. Offensive lineman number 68 scores the two-point conversion. Celebrations happen. Flags called for an ineligible receiver who caught the ball. There have been thousands, if not more, opinions shared on this play and this penalty. I think there's been a lot of just speculation of what was that conversation like with the refs on the field. Did Dan Campbell actually walk the refs through this potential play pregame? What was going on? Here's what Adam Schefter had to say, and I think that it's a very valid opinion and one that I relate to in this sense, um, or at least think is accurate. Um, this has generated an awful lot of reaction around the league, as you might expect. I think teams have, teams have found fault with both sides here. They think the Lions tried to trick the Cowboys by sending over those three players kind of in once to see, you know, just throw the Cowboys off and instead trick the officials by sending those three offensive linemen over to the official when only one lineman should have been reporting. Then the officials missed the call. Brad Allen got the, the wrong player reporting, and that has been a continuation of a string of high-profile misses from Brad Allen's crew this year. I think the Lions did what the Lions were supposed to do as a team. Believing Dan Campbell to not be a liar, I would believe that he did what he was supposed to do and talked to the refs pregame about, hey, heads up, this might be happening. We'll let you know if it does. And when you watch the play back, you know, the refs were saying that number 70 was the one who reported, when in reality, you had 68, one of their offensive linemen, talking to the ref. When they were kind of done talking, that's when 70 was really running up. 70 didn't have a chance to speak to the refs. So I find it a little bit interesting that it was that confusing because it just looked like there was a delay in that conversation to why you should even be thinking that 70 was telling you that. There was also speculation about how many players can report eligible at a time. The one thing that I thought was interesting was like for Pats games, if a player is reporting eligible, even if it's every single play on the drive, which is a traffic crazy, they would announce it of like number 70 is reporting eligible. 
in my head, I that should have happened in this game, and it should have been a red flag to the Lions organization and the team to realize that's not correct. Of course, high stakes, last minute in the game, whatever. I don't even know if that happened. So should have happened, but I don't know if it did. Of course, a heartbreaking way to lose a game, especially at this point in the season. Um, before I get into what Dan Campbell had to say about it, what were your thoughts on the call itself? Yeah, I do have thoughts. Um, this was actually, I knew this was your game, but this was also the game that made me stop and watch. So just diving into it a little bit. Um, this is obviously the part of the game that just like, I, I, I still can't stop thinking about it. And to me, this is on the officials. It, yeah. the more, like, since I'm, I always knew this, but like, once I like started coaching last year a little bit and then like playing, really as an offense, like, you're, and as a defense, like, your whole goal is to confuse the other team. Like, that's why you make all yeah. of these plays. That's why you study film. Like, you disguise things to do something else. Like, so that argument, well, they were trying to confuse the Cowboys. Yeah, they were trying yeah. to confuse the Cowboys. Good like, job. Like, that is, like, the literal point. That's why Dan Campbell went to the officials. That's why they made sure that they reported. No way, shape, or form do I think that Dan Campbell lied about that. Do I think that the offensive line, linemen lied about the fact that they reported or didn't report? I think it was a mistake on the officials. And the fact that they, like, didn't take a few extra seconds after it happened to, like, talk it through and come up with the right solution is the 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 part that really blows my mind that like you yeah. make this mistake and you can't like take like because it really happened pretty quick like they you know they flew the flag yeah. they said it i'm like you couldn't talk about that for an extra like 30 seconds or check in with new york or like you know to make sure that that call was right um so that's kind of how i feel about it i talked about before i think this is fuel for dan campbell um he said, we're going <laughs> to, he said, we will use this as fuel. I've got pure octane right now. I woke up, I'm ready. So we're moving forward to me. That is the attitude that, you know, they're going to take going forward. And I think that makes them really, really dangerous. They have no excuses. They take extreme ownership of it. Yes, it was a bad call. They think, uh, but it makes me believe that the Lions are just going to be more dangerous now than ever. But yeah, my feelings on it were, uh, it, it was unfortunate again, like we've said all year, like no, game should have to come down to one play but because it was just like it was the last play it was so exciting and in my eyes it was so clearly wrong uh the yeah. officials made the wrong call i think that's why it sticks out so much uh, uh to me i think it's fascinating too because Schefter went on to talk about how going into the playoffs like this brad allen this like this officiating crew has the likelihood of getting downgraded out of officiating the playoffs because there have been a string, six or seven other plays in, you know, certain games where, you know, game winning, game deciding calls have not been made or they were made falsely. And I think in this situation, like everything that I've seen, the ref knows how high stakes this moment is. And even just watching the tape back in real time of seeing the offensive linemen talk to the refs, it felt like a conversation in passing. Like, if I was the ref, like, of course the Cowboys are trying, of course the Lions are trying to confuse the Cowboys, obviously. But that's where, in, as a ref in that moment, you take the second to stop walking and be like, you're the one, correct? Like, 68, whatever. Like, it doesn't have to be some big announcement in that moment, but like, it felt like they were walking by each other while 70 was running up, where the ref should have taken that extra second to confirm it in that moment. I also agree with your point that they should have confirmed 
that this was the call, whatever is happening before making that call. Um, I thought it was going off of what you're saying with Dan Campbell. <laughs> he said Monday morning, I woke up yesterday. I'm a ready man. I've got controlled fury and I'm ready to go. Talking about not wallowing in it, moving forward. Woohoo! I, that's dangerous. And you know what? Like, it sucks for the Lions. I hate that this is how this ended, but right at the right time, they're going to use it as fuel. And Dallas gets to say that they are officially undefeated at home this year, marking their 16th straight home win. Regardless of what happened, that's still a pretty impressive home field advantage. Um, and we'll see how the Lions take this and run with it. Absolutely. Yeah, it is going to be exciting to see, I think, the Lions going forward after that. Um, all right. So that I said, that was my game that, that made me stop and watch the whole thing. I was just pretty intrigued by, especially that last, that last play there. What game made you stop and watch this week, Faith? Yes. Um, I stopped and watched the Rams Giants. Rams defeated the Giants 26 to 25. So another close matchup. I think any close game is exciting, but there are a handful of things that just went into this game. For me, Rams had three turnovers, but still found a way to win, certainly with the help of Kyron Williams, their running back who got 20 carries for 87 yards and three touchdowns. Absolutely wild. I think the Rams are fascinating in general. They followed a Super Bowl with a 5-12 and season mm. the next year, um, and then were able to clinch the playoff berth when Pittsburgh knocked off the Seahawks this past week. Um, so... Rams are in the playoffs. Matthew Stafford threw for 317 yards and a touchdown, but also had his first two interception game um, in the last five games. Um, they, the Rams are hot right now. Okay. We talked about it. Like all of a sudden out of nowhere, anything can happen in the playoffs. Um, the Giants had the chance to pull off the win when Gunnar Oshevsky scored a 94 yard punt return to get New York within a point with three and a half minutes left in the game. There were a handful of penalties, handful of situations that just did not go right. Tyrod Taylor was unable to connect with Saquon Barkley for a two point conversion. Um, and later on down the road, um, they had the chance to score the game winning field goal, a 50 yarder, 54 yarder to be specific. It did not make it. Crosby said he stopped looking when it turned left. Rams did not win pretty but they did earn themselves a spot in the playoffs with the 26 to 25 victory over the New York giants. A win is a win. A win is a win, baby. <laughs> uh, I do like Gunnar Oshesky. I'm glad that he, uh, he took that back. That was good. Me too. I love seeing that for him and looking into playmakers of the week. Who, why Katie, who do you have with the AFC? Well, this seems like a gimme, and I'm going to go with the AFC Playmaker of the Week is Lamar Jackson. In the last two games, which were against the 49ers and the Dolphins, over those two games, he has 73% passing, seven touchdowns, and zero picks. Again, his stats in the win over the Dolphins. He went 18 for 21, 321 yards, five touchdowns, and a perfect passer rating he completed passes to seven different receivers he also was making timely plays with his legs picking up first downs just had complete control over the game on the season he is the leading quarterback rusher with 821 rushing yards averaging 51.3 yards per game he has five rushing touchdowns 27 runs of 10 plus yards and 171 rush yards over expected this season 
per next gen stats. All this was showing huge improvement in his passing game, command over the offense under uh, Munkin, and just leading the Ravens in a very, very impressive way. Right now, to me, he is looking like the ultimate playmaker. Lamar Jackson, AFC Playmaker of the Week. I can't even debate that with you. I feel like that is certainly a well-deserved crown. I'm going to say the same thing with my NFC Playmaker of the Week. I'm giving it to C.D. Lamb because, I mean, gosh, how do I not give it to him? 13 receptions, 227 yards, one touchdown against the Lions. But truly, he's been a difference maker all season. Season numbers include 122 receptions off of 168 targets, 1,651 yards, so he's averaging 13.5 per reception, which is crazy. 10 touchdowns plus 13 carries for 106 yards, so he's not only averaging 13.5 yards a reception, he's averaging 8.2 yards a carry and two rushing touchdowns. So C.D. Lamb certainly has been having an outstanding season for the Cowboys. He set the Dallas Cowboys record for catches in a season um, in the second quarter of that game. In the third quarter, he set the team record for most receiving yards in a season. It just so happens that the previous record holder for both of these was Michael Irving, who happened to be in attendance at the game for the Jimmy Johnson halftime ceremony. Lamb was quoted saying, it's a real moment for me. Shout out to my guys. We continue to work, continue to build, continue to grow. I mean, it showed. I wouldn't be able to do any of this without them. I look forward to keeping that going. I feel like he's a very, not humble guy, but a very, like, grateful, like, just soaking it all in, down-to-earth kind of guy. And you could just tell that whole game that he knew he was having a great game and it was pushing him to those records. And I think it's... I mean, you got to wonder what Michael Irvin's thinking. I guess he's excited for the Cowboys, but, you know, watch both of the records gone in one night. Um, obviously well-deserving. My NFC Playmaker of the Week, Mr. C.D. Lamb. Yeah, Cowboys. he looked so good in that game. Like, we were watching it, and I was just like, man, he is balling. So, well-deserved Playmaker yeah. of the Week, Faith. All right. True. What do you have for us for the photographer's perspective this week, Faith? So, I feel like lately I've been getting into post- you know, saying three to five different things deserve a shout out. This one, without a doubt, the second I saw it, one in my mind, there was no, nothing even came close. Nothing Taylor Swift related even came close. Mr. KFC, Kirk Cousins, led the skull chant in Minnesota this past Sunday. And even his son got into the hype. He's standing there shirtless with the chain. The next thing you know, the camera pans. His son's taking his shirt off getting into the chant with his dad. I think it's amazing. What a team player at the end of the day. Like just to see him leading the Vikings in that chant, obviously that game did not go as they wanted it to, but you never lose a pregame warmup hype like that. And I think it just shows the team player that Kirk Cousins is. I love to see it. His son was adorable getting into that too. And I just think he's such a lovable guy. You can't hate him. And easily my photographer's perspective crown of the week goes to Mr. KFC. Also loved it. Loved it. And his kid taking off his shirt, he kind of like got stuck in his shirt, but like Kirk didn't stop. They were just like so excited. Oh, I loved it so much. I I think I sent it to you. I saw like every video angle of it. Uh, It just hyped me up. But to me, like you said, like I love it because 
uh, it shows what a team player he is. He's still super involved. He's not like hanging his head and being sad about it, which would be understandable to do. But, you know, he's doing what he can for the team, trying to rally the fans, etc. So love that Kirk Cousins content over the weekend. Yes, yes. We are going to move into our playmakers predictions or just games we're excited for. Now, the obvious game that I would be excited for would be the Dolphins Bills, which I am amped about. If the Dolphins win, they'll claim the division for the first time since the 2008 season. Otherwise, the Bills will win the title for a fourth consecutive season. Like we said, a lot on on the line for the Bills there. It's really a must win for them if they want to keep their destiny in their hands. However, that's not the game I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose the Texans versus the Colts. Because like I said, winner goes to the playoff, loser goes yep. home. I love that. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens. These are two teams that I think have had, I would say, better seasons than I thought with um, C.J. Stroud and Gardner Minshew as quarterbacks. I think they're two really fun quarterbacks to watch who really led their teams this year in unexpected ways. Stroud is a standout rookie. And then Minshew coming in for Anthony Richards to bring in his signature Minshew mania flair. So I like that both those guys, I think, have overperformed based on what their expectations would have been going into the season. So excited to see them play in this game. And then other key players to watch on the Texans, Will Anderson. He had two sacks last week, and he now has the Texans franchise record for the most sacks in a single season by a rookie with seven. And on the offense, uh, receiver Nico Collins and running back Devin Singletary, I think really need to be impact players in this game for the Texans if they have any chance of beating the Colts. And on the Colts side, obviously Jonathan Taylor needs to be a big part of the game plan to help Minshew out. Last week he had 96 rushing yards on 21 carries in their win versus the Raiders. And then also the Colts, they do have some receivers who can get the job done. I think they're not big names, but they are making things happen. And last week's game, rookie Josh Downs, he had a 50-yard catch and run that was set up that set up Taylor's touchdown run on the opening drive. They have a second-year receiver in Alec Pierce. He had one reception, but it was for 58-yard touchdowns to make it a two-score game going into halftime in that game. And then finally, Michael Pittman is really their stand. Uh, their number one guy, and he continues to be and show that he's reliable. He had the majority of his five receptions for 46 yards the other day came in key situations. So they do have some receivers, might not be kind of those household names, but they're finding ways to get things done, making big plays. If they can do that, and then Jonathan Taylor can really um, get the run game going, I think that will help Minshew out a lot. So I'm excited. Texans, Colts, winner goes home, uh, goes to the playoffs, loser goes home. Love it. Basically, the playoffs have started. Yep. Welcome to the playoffs. Um, super exciting matchup. I also had a very similar situation in the NFC because, of course, I think 49ers-Rams would be an exciting matchup that I am excited to watch. Two teams that are in the NFC playoffs um, picture already. But at the end of the day, there is more on the line for the Falcons-Saints. So I'm going to talk about that game um because honestly even if the rams pull off the win nothing drastically changes i mean i think they go to the sixth spot in the playoffs 49ers stay where they are so i think it'll still be a good game but Falcons saints similar to colts texans um they're looking at a must-win situation in terms of the nfc south title saints are at eight and eight must beat the falcons at seven and nine and the bucks of course have to lose to the panthers um which We'll see what happens there because the Panthers have certainly struggled this season. Um, but so the Saints have to win this game if they want their title, if they want to have a sporting chance at what's happening in the playoffs. They've got to win. 
Um, I have seen the Saints in person win a game and then not make the playoffs, so certain things could happen. But um, there's also just a lot at play outside of this game that I feel like they need to control what they can control, which is get a win over the Falcons. Um, I'm hoping for a good one in New Orleans. They are hosting this game. The Falcons Saints have always been a very close divisional game. It's always seems to be exciting. When I went to the Falcons Saints game, the Falcons put on the score just a visitor in gray. Like they didn't put anything involving the Saints. When the Saints came out, the whole stadium booed and had like newspapers up as if they couldn't care that they were running out. Like I remember it was like intense kind of stuff. And so of course, this should be an exciting divisional game. Saints got to win this if they want even their chance at the NFC South title. So, yeah, that's what I'm excited for. Should be a good one. I love these playoff type scenarios here in week 18. All right. Yeah. We're going to end here with our gotta have faith. Faith, what do you have for us in the <sighs> final week of the regular NFL season for our you gotta have faith prediction? Yeah, so like you said, it is the last week of the regular season. Gotta have faith is at a rough time, okay? We would be mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, but let's see what underdog is going to make the biggest splash in Week 18. And I'm going for the Hail Mary here, all right? We're just, why not? Go big or go home, baby. The Prey have been eliminated from the playoffs, so they have nothing to lose. They're going to try to spoil the Predator who is currently fighting for the number two spot in their conference, all right? So they're not just in the playoffs. They're fighting for the number two spot. The Prey are 13.5-point underdogs. Yikes. So big margin here. Um, The Predator could win their division with a win here, okay? So there is number two spot winning the division. A lot is on the line. The Prey don't really have a true quarterback one. They don't. You're ma- They're struggling. You're making this a tough sell, but keep going. But the Predator have been in this exact situation before and been 13.5 point favorites on the road against a team that they have lost to. Ooh. So this exact, well, not exact, but situation has happened for this Predator before and they have lost. And it would be very much like this Predator to lose this kind of game. Hail Mary in Virginia. The commanders are finding a way to beat the Cowboys. Wow, that is a bold take. But like you said, the Cowboys, Come on, the Cowboys can beat the Cowboys. And I respect going out this season, regular season. Gotta have faith with a bang here. Why not? Commanders taking down the Cowboys. Crazier things have happened for sure. Yeah, and they've just really struggled on the road. Like the Commanders got nothing to play for. Who knows? Sam Howell might have the game of his life and the Cowboys can't figure it out on the road as they've struggled all season. And I mean, no matter what, they're still in the playoffs and they're still going to be top in the NFC, but it would be like the Cowboys to find a way to lose this game. So we'll see. We will see. see. We will see. There's so much exciting stuff going on in the last week. Uh, So many like playoff type games. We're pumped for it. We're excited for it, but that's going to be it for us today on Playmakers Perspective. So thank you to everybody who has gotten on board. Join the Playmakers Perspective community so far. Tell your friends. Let's keep it rolling. Thank you so much. Faith, where can you listen, follow, and be part of the fun? 
Yes. So, as always, full episodes are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, we are Playmakers Perspective. We are also on Instagram at Playmakers Perspective. We post graphics, videos, clips from episodes, guest graphics, all kinds of exciting things. And looking at the calendar now, we have one more episode before the playoffs get rolling, which is exciting. And then every episode following that is going to be playoff talk, Super Bowl talk. Um, definitely a lot of exciting episodes to come. So if you want to be involved and you want to see what's happening over here, for sure. Let's go. So excited for that. Thank you, everybody. And we will see you next week. Thank you.